Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of RZ Weekly, our weekly podcast about religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. Today, we decided to talk about a topic that uh, has been a burning topic in Israel and in the diaspora for many, many years, actually, but again, came to the forefront in light of a, of a panel, an online Zoom panel that took place last week as part of what was the, the newspaper Makor Rishon. Makor Rishon runs a, uh, runs a, uh, is a newspaper in Israel. If you don't know, Makor Rishon is a leading religious Zionist newspaper in Israel. I'll take that back, not leading, I don't know. Um, uh, and they ran an online conference uh, focused on Jewish Judaism and the diaspora. I'd actually be, I'd be fascinated to know if anybody in the English-speaking world actually heard about the conference and participated in it. Nonetheless, on the, as part of the conference, one of the online panels was a discussion between uh, Harab uh, Eliezer Melamed. Melamed is a leading figure in the religious Zionist world, somewhat of a renegade. He can't, he's the, he is the writer, the author of the very, very famous, very, very well-known Penidei Halacha series, which has been translated now into multiple languages. It's really a, a, a magnificent work of Halacha. Um, and uh, together with him was the, a woman named Rabbi Delphine Hevio. Did I say that right? Hovio? I don't know how you pronounce her name. Okay. France's third female rabbi who leads France's liberal Jewish movement and writes about feminism and nudity and modesty, etc., etc. So the, I, I watched the panel. I have to say I, I didn't really get much out of it. But the, the headline was that Rabbi Malamed would actually sit on the panel together with a, not only a reform rabbi, a female reform rabbi. And of course, the reactions were swift in coming. Rabbi Malamed was firmly criticized in the Israeli religious press, and also in the, in the Haredi press. The beauty of Rabbi Malamed is he doesn't care what anybody else thinks, which is refreshing. Um, and uh, the, the, the criticism was swift. I actually wrote a Facebook post about, post about it in, in, in Hebrew, and again, inaccurate. But it was, it, was, it, was, it was returning to very old, very, very well-known, I call them tropes, but themes about how could you sit together with people who are, who are dedicated to the structures of the Torah, how could you sit together with people we have nothing in common with, who are devoted to, to uh, uh, ethics and values antithetical to the Torah, to Judaism. But this was coming from uh, not the, the, the modern Orthodox side or the very modern Orthodox side, but it was coming from the Haredi world and the more Khardali world. Chardal, Haredi, Dati, Umi world. And I was actually quite surprised that nobody in the mainstream religious Zionist world really rose to Rabbi Malamed's defense. Nobody said anything. And so Rabbi Malamed himself defended himself. He has the platform He has the platform of a weekly article in Besheva from which he writes uh, basically all of the Halakha. But nobody defended him. Because, and I don't even think the criticism of him was considered controversial. I mean, I happen to think that it was considered understood. And people sort of looked at Rabbi Lamed, shrugged at him and said, no, what can you do? He's, you know, he's Rabbi Lamed, he'll do what he wants. But no minds were really changed by his sitting on this panel with this rabbi. That's the sense that I got. So, Johnny, you agree with my assessment of what happened here? And, and do you think that minds were changed in any way? Or is it, uh, you know... Uh, reforming our evil, and that's a quote, uh, I didn't say that, Molly, don't misquote me, uh, reforming are terrible, and they're, they're the danger to the Jewish people, and God forbid they should have a place at the Kotel, and all of the same tropes that we've heard about for the past, who knows how many years. What say you, Harab Johnny? 
Okay, so uh, admittedly I wasn't uh, present or, or even a, a, a listener of the panel. Of course, I've been reading the media reports about what's taking place and Pninen Halakha has pride of place in our home. And of course, I have tremendous respect for Rav Malamud. I should add, by the way, Pninei Halakha, although it's a halachic work, interlaces the halachic presentation with hashkafic ideas. So Rav Malamud is considered to be a thinker as well as a, a halachist uh, and somebody that many people um, take seriously, at least his advice and his perspective. What you described, you know, seems to be based, uh, correct based on all the other media reports that I've read. The question really is, how come there was such absolute um, criticism of Rav Malamed on a topic that you would think perhaps would have been slightly more varied? You would have heard perhaps more moderates or there'd been greater debate and disagreement. Basically, in the religious Zionist world, there's rarely a singular topic where everybody agrees. So how come something about really trying to maintain ties with the wider Jewish people seems to be something where everybody is uh, on the same script? Um, and I think the simple answer is that, a little bit like you've alluded to before, there is a limited understanding of some Israelis and some religious Zionists about the non-Orthodox world, uh, not just within Israel, but certainly outside of Israel. And in general, these have been banners which uh, the religious Zionist movement and the Orthodox movement in, in Israel in general have opposed because there have been questions about Jewish status, which people uh, challenge. I, we don't want Jewish status to give uh, credence to non-Orthodox uh, conversions that perhaps uh, are in conflict with Halakha or certainly not recognized by Halakha. We don't want our sacred places like the Kotel uh, to reflect what others wish it to be. Let's not forget that the great majority of Israelis, even if they don't go to shul, don't go to an Orthodox shul. I often use that term. You know, the shul you don't go to is an Orthodox shul. And so the demographic here in Israel is highly traditional. And so the, the wants, the demands, the needs of non-Orthodox... Except, Johnny, I'll point out least... that in my experience, that's true until they go to Chutzlaret. And all of a sudden they get to a liberal synagogue Correct. and they feel very much comfortable there. And much less so than they would in an Orthodox show. It's, very, it's an interesting phenomenon. How many Israelis have said to me, I didn't discover Judaism until I left Israel. And they're not going, most of them are not coming to Orthodox show. It's really just an interesting phenomenon. A hundred percent, and it's something that I've encountered when I've been traveling uh, throughout Europe. Tachlis, though, is the majority of people who criticize Rav Malamed aren't fully au fait with uh, the wider context of um, non-Orthodoxy around the globe. And as a result of that, they're making it quite clear, and they're going back to the denominational battles that we've had here and making it very clear. We're not giving room to, and we don't want to give credence to, non-orthodoxy given the possible risks that will have on Jewish status and holy sites, uh, education and other matters that are very, very precious to our heart. That's basically, I'm just trying to explain the knee-jerk reaction that we saw in the newspapers, uh, but also noting that it's based on, I'd say, a narrow-ish view of the Jewish world. That doesn't mean it's a wrong view or the right view, but I think that's why that uh, view was Mali, you've been here quite a few years, even longer than, than either of us, quite longer. Um, have, has it changed over time? Have you, th have you seen things change? Has there been more of an awareness in your view? Or it's still the same as it always was and because there's, there's, there's no awareness of 
of, of what's out there in the Jewish world. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, first of all, I just want to say I'm not sure that I, I could be that you're right. I, I'm not sure that the lack of jumping to Rav Malamud's defense is because people basically agreed with the more Khardali approach. Um, I think the feeling is, you know, there's like a gamut of like why there would be such a Sheval Tase. Um, one being that pe- A, people know that Rav Malamud is cap- quite capable of taking care of himself. Um, he was. Um, um, the, the fact that he's known as an independent thinker who does what he will do um, on not just issue, but he's done it on a whole range of issues, but that he's, but, but that at the same time he is such a tremendous Talmud Chacham that his uh, status, at, at, you know, as a, I would say, a, a gadol, yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, when do you apply the word gadol, but I would say certainly like a great leader um, among, um, you know, in the, in the religious world, is, is, is basically unassailable. Um, so again, between the fact that it's like, you know, Rav Malamed will defend himself, and he did, and who am I to defend Rav Malamed? He's bigger than me, and he will defend himself, and he did. And anyway, Rav Malamed always had, has a kind of class, iconoclastic position, so like, he doesn't need to be jumping to his defense on this one. I think those might also play a part in why there wasn't a, a strong rushing to his defense. I'm not convinced that people don't agree with him. Um, that I don't think you're, I'm not sure you're correct. I'm among, I'd say that in the Dati Lumi world. It, listen, the, ref, the, the issue of has, has the conservative and reform world become more apparent to Israelis over time? I would say yes. And I think Nani pointed to why. I think the um, Women of the Wall issue brought it to people's attention. Um, but I, I want to say something else, which is something that I, that I mentioned to Johnny briefly before we started, which I think is really important um, in, in terms of, of uh, you, you, you didn't even start with this question, but I do want to, I want to say this, because I think it's an important thing to say about why I so admire what Rav Malama did, specifically at this moment in history. Um, Johnny kind of, it's interesting, because I, thought, I framed the whole issue as like, the people who don't want to sit and talk with reform are fighting a battle that, that's like, well, that was like the battle in America in the 1940s, the 1960s, and it kind of, you know, schlepped its way into the 80s. But it's like a battle that's dead. Um, it, there was really a sense, right? It started with like Rav Hirsch and this sense that like, oh my gosh, reform and conservative are a threat to, to, to orthodoxy. And if we give them any legitimacy, uh, that's the end of orthodoxy. That has been flipped on its head so completely that, that, that it's such an irrelevant point, at, you know, in, the, in this reality. Um, and Dafka, I think that Rav Malamid ta- is, is, what's interesting is, Dafka, because he's not coming from the, I, I was thinking this when I read his piece and his explanation for why he sat with this woman, and like, well, it was so beautifully phrased, and part of me was wondering, like, because he doesn't have all that American baggage about, if I sit on, a, on an interfaith panel, am I legitimizing, you know, the conservative movement or the reform movement, um, he's much more capable of, of seeing the moment of today and what's needed today. And I think that Dafka today, the, the willingness to sit with people that we don't agree with, two things. One, to sit and engage in, in civil dialogue with people with whom we have differences is the most important thing that needs to be modeled in today's world. I would say that across the board on all issues. Um, that's becoming inc- increasingly impossible, and it's increasingly important. And not just that, but the ability to make the following distinction. I agree, I, I, and, and this, um, somebody, I think it was Ellie Fisher, posted Dr. Rabbi Norman Lamb's essay about sitting, to, about this very issue, where he distinguished between 
think the words were validity and legitimacy. But he said, I'm capable of, um, you know, validating your existence as Jews, right, and, and seeing you as my brethren, and at the same time, I'm capable of holding my ground about what I think is a legitimate approach to halacha and to have halachic integrity. And that's essentially what Muhammad is doing. And the ability to have nuance in conversation and to say, here's where I agree with you. Here's why I will, I'm willing to dialogue with you. Here are the places where we have points of connection. And here's where we have dis respectful disagreement is, again, if I said the other thing was the single most important, that's actually, the mo that's thing A. The other thing is thing B. It's just in, t in time, you need thing A before thing B, but thing B is more important. The ability to be able to have nuanced conversations where we say, here's where I agree, here's where I disagree, here's why, and, and, um, um, and to make space for, for that type of discerning dialogue and conversation and, and agreement to me, is profoundly important. There's an article in the Jerusalem Post by somebody who watched their their interaction, and everybody should look it up. It's beautiful um, because it talks about the qualities. That he they was the moderator. Gil 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 moderator. Yes, the moderator. Exactly. Gil yeah. Troy. Yeah. yeah. His name was. Yes. Um, right. So he talked about that they both brought humility and willingness to open and good faith, um, and they found a lot of common ground. But they were both respectful of the of the other person's perspective, and they nobody tried to paper over that. But they strongly disagreed. Um, and I thought that that was, again, I think t t in today's moment, that's what's needed more than anything else. And wait, I want to say one more thing because I have a one final point, which is the final thing that I find interesting is, um, is it, well, I don't know if I, how, how to phrase this, but, but I think Johnny's right also in thinking about the, the Israel-America diaspora relations, where in the past it was always the sense that um, Israel was the, was the big movement and we were the little movement. And I think there's now a set, you know, and, and, and that's when they're the big movement and you're the little movement, you perhaps feel more of a threat. And I think that Israelis are increasingly, if you're at ask, but this is another difference that I think has happened over time. Israelis are feeling increasingly like the little movement. They're feeling much more like the big movement. I, I lost you. Um, who's, who's little and who's big? Meaning it used to be like, oh, America, right, they're the right, big, right. You know, big brother or uncle America. And we're, you know. Silly little, um, give us your money. Give us your money, Sabras, who are also young, and we need to be educated by the Americans because they're so wise and they're so sophisticated. And that's been flipped. And now it's like we have a responsibility, again, we talked about this before, to help our brethren in the diaspora. And I think that's also maybe a place where Rav Malam is coming from. He's coming from a place of like, there's a fire, you know, this is again, this is maybe NCSY language, you know, but there's a fire in Chutz Laaretz. Um, and, and, and if we can help, with with um, reaching our hand in in warmth to American communities, right? I think they are seeing the the rapid loss of um, the numbers, the the numbers of American Jews, and so his attitude is it's they're too precious, my brothers and sisters, to not be willing to engage in dialogue with them. So I, I actually I want to respond to that. I I completely agree with you. I mean, I have uh, quite a bit of experience engaging with communities. And also engaging, seeing the antipathy or the, the suspicion that people have in the liberal Jewish community when they know that you are from Israel and that you represent something orthodox in Israel, the, the, the negativity. People just, you know, they, they wouldn't want to have programs because what are you going to say and how are you going to alienate and what are you going to, what are you going to bring? But it, what's most painful to me when I see Israelis leadership people in leadership positions speaking in such hurtful tones, 
is that they're they're yeah. they're they're contributing to the problem. You know, nowadays what they don't understand is that so many Jews, uh, Israel plays such an important important role in the Jewish identity of so many of so many Jews, and especially so many secular Jews, that they see where the state of Israel has a place for them. And when they see that people in leadership roles and in 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 primary places that speak for the the state religion of the state of Israel speak so hatefully about them personally. So then they say, well, why would I want to have anything to do with that? And that it essentially pushes their way, them away from the, 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 primary, um, uh, the primary force that could save them or connect them to, their, to some sense of Jewish identity. You know, for decades, after, especially after the Six-Day War, Israel was a sense of Jewish pride. And now all of a sudden, yes, people are proud that Israel does vaccines and APAC and all that. People are proud of that. But if if you're being denigrated and you're speaking, being spoken down to and being coined as the enemy of the Jewish people, then you say, forget it. Then what do I want to have anything to do with this? And it pains me so much because, like, do these people, do these rabbis, do, do they have any sense of the damage and the, and the, that they're causing by purporting to protect Judaism and protect the Jewish people? Johnny, what do you think? Right. And again, if they could just see that, sorry, if they could just see that distinction between I can see you as my brother, and we can still have a respectful disagreement. If both sides could see that, we would be. Uh, I want to add one more thing. At least I don't know about it. I've, I've seen this actually. They're not like, so many. The people that we're talking about, like I'll say it this way: I obviously, as an Orthodox Jew, have tremendous differences between uh, my my own personal view of God and Judaism, and uh, and the more liberal Jewish movements. Uh, it doesn't. It's, not, it's irrelevant. But the, 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 the enemy of the Jewish people is not, today in my mind, is not this movement or that movement. The enemy, enemy of the Jewish people is indifference and assimilation and non-affiliation. Meaning, you know, like, I, I, I sometimes think that, you know, uh, that rabbis here in Israel, if they, they think that if the reform movement didn't exist, then of course all the Jews would flock to the Orthodox shuls, and the reason they're not going to the Orthodox shuls is because because of women rabbis. Whereas the the, the absolute opposite is true. The, the, these these institutions are places where these people feel comfortable in their you know in their Westernism and their liberalism, and they don't feel comfortable in our shuls for many many reasons. You know, some of them are ideological, some of them are just simply sociological, and by denigrating these places and pushing people away from them. You're essentially pushing them away from, from Judaism, and they're not the enemy anymore. Like you said, they were once maybe in the 40s or the 50s or the 70s or what have you. But I just don't, I don't see them being the enemy. Johnny, I'd like you to, I know you wanted to say something. I'd like you to reflect because in, when I was in Britain, England, the things that I'm saying, I've gotten, and of course I'm more centrist, you could say more liberal on these issues, but there's broad agreement in, in, in what I would consider the YU community of working with, of sitting on a panel, not discussing religious issues per se. You know, even the Haredi community in America will engage and will teach in a Hebrew school or, will, you know what I'm saying? Because they realize that's where the Jews are. But when I got to the United Kingdom, it was absolutely 180% di diametrically opposite. It could be because of the nature of the synagogue itself, but there was no way that we could do programming together with with liberal communities and also do programming together with the the or the orthodox institutions, the orthodox institutions or or the orthodox community. 
And I was wondering if you could comment on, on that, obviously harking from, I've heard your accent from, from, from England. <laughs> okay, so I th you're asking about programming, although prior to this, we were talking about dialogue. I think it's important to distinguish between the two because uh, there's a vast difference between talking and necessarily uh, presuming that they are all necessarily on the same page in terms of promoting identical values. Well, let, let me, let, I'll, I'll clarify. When I went to do programming in the United Kingdom, it was made clear to me, and this was the position of the, uh, of the, of, of uh, some of the synagogues, I would say, that if I did a program, if my organization would do any programming with the liberal Jewish community, then they would not be able to work with us also. Yeah, I, and and, uh, and I, as you know, I'm quite familiar with uh, that milieu and that context. Um, I'm going to tell you, let's start with one interesting contrast. I don't think we're necessarily going to cover all of Anglo-Jewish history and the history of something called the Stanmore Accords, which most of our listeners probably have never heard of, and even necessarily the phenomenon of Limud and how it's uh, acknowledged or perhaps uh, uh, challenged uh, in different communities. But I want to compare the last two chief rabbis uh, in fact, the last three. Let's let's do that. Lord Jakubovitz, Emmanuel Jakubovitz. I'm sure most people have heard of an upstanding Talmud Chacham, a leading expert in Jewish medical ethics. Uh, Chief Rabbi Lord Sachs, uh, who we've quoted before, and the current Chief Rabbi Rabbi Mervis. Now. Truth be told, of the three, I don't think it would be improper to say that Rabbi Sachs is generally considered to be the most liberal-minded in a, in a variety of ways, okay? Um, and yet, Rabbi Sachs, in fact, made the most, greatest number of faux pas in terms of orthodox, non-orthodox uh, relationships. I'm not going to go into that why, uh, now. Uh, and as a result of that, he kind of avoided that topic like the plague. Now, why would somebody who believes in trying to bring people together avoid the possibility of bringing communities together, somebody so skilled with oratory? So I'd say it depends on how you view a particular person. So when sometimes when somebody's quite uh, modern, quite, quite liberal-minded, you're not quite sure where they stand on certain things. And so as a result of that, they stay away from areas which may well uh, question their loyalties. Contrasting that, I want to quote to you from Lord Jakubowicz, and it's from his letters, and I think it's fascinating. And he said that when he used to visit America, and don't forget, he was actually in Fifth Avenue for a while, normally on my American lecture tours, I accept invitations to speak on conservative reform as well as orthodox platforms. Now, most people don't realize this. I believe that the Torah is given to all Jews, and I'm obliged to teach it to any section of the community when invited to do so. Obviously I, have, obviously, I have nothing other than Orthodox Judaism to proclaim. But then he goes on to say, I also do not think that anyone would misinterpret my appearance as extending recognition or credibility to non-Orthodox Judaism. I and my teachings are known well enough. I believe not to have any, my presence taken as any kind of endorsement whatsoever. On the contrary, I hope my presence and my presentations helped enhance respect for Torah teachings. Basically, Lord Jakubowicz was happy to go to non-Orthodox synagogues because he never thought that his presence would lead people to question his loyalties. Wait, Rabbi in England, Sachs, he did it in England too? Uh, I, I, I noticed he said, he said I, it when I, when he I traveled to America. America. He said it in America. It's very interesting. Correct. I, I don't, the answer is I don't know, although 
there was an under he he happily spoke to people round his table from all different denominations that's for sure the case i don't i mean it's a question that i haven't necessarily got the answer in my pocket for however rabbi Sachs didn't i'd say precisely because of that mm -hmm. second point which is he thought or people thought that by him going there people would say ah maybe you're not quite you know one of us people more to the right etc and so he avoided that now when Chief Rabbi Mervis became Chief Rabbi, and again, he's slightly more traditional, he decided to go to Nimud, which is where Rabbi Sachs chose not to. And for, I have on my computer a piece of Mishpacha magazine, you know, uh, criticizing him. But I think, and I'm not here to speak for Rabbi Mervis, I think he would have taken the same view as Lord Jacobitz, which is nobody, nobody doubts where I'm coming from. I don't, if, trust me, everyone knows precisely what I think. And therefore, me going there, in no way communicates the things that you think could be communicated. Now, going back to Rabbi Malamud. Rabbi Malamud is, as we say, an outstanding Torah scholar, or an expert in Hashkafan Halacha, right, who is well known in the Israeli world. I don't think for one second he believed that by having a conversation, people are going to say, ah, oh, this guy's lost to orthodoxy, right? It's a bit like, you know, Hilchot Shabbat, that we say you should have the most observant person breaking the laws of Shabbat because they know what to do, but also they appear to know what to do. So I think in a similar spirit, Rabbi Malamad engaging this conversation didn't worry him because he didn't think anybody would query his loyalties. The problem in North America, and the truth is I think the problem in the UK and other parts of the world is, certain leaders, truth be told, are not crystal clear about their uh, ideology. You think they are, but in fact they're not. They don't speak about their, their uh, you know, uh, Complete, uh, commitments and loyalties to principles or they dodge questions and mm -hmm. as a result of that they want to avoid that discomfort and I think part of that is I think, related to this whole issue. I think, I, I think uh, Johnny, I think interestingly in England one of the differences is like in the, that the synagogues in England they make a point that, of, of saying that we are for all Jews, they're welcoming to all Jews even though we're Orthodox, we're an Orthodox synagogue, the, the, the synagogue is designed to be something for the broader community. Whereas I would say in America, we don't harbor such illusions usually. You know, we know that we're the Orthodox shul and, uh, you know, it's, it's, we understand that it's not necessarily as comfortable for someone to raise in a more liberal place that there are, there are costs or whatever. That, you know, I would say it's more of a Ashkenazic model. So the sense that I got in England was that uh, there was a there was a desire not to give legitimacy or to sit together or to work together because that would give the impression to people who are not personally observant that you could go here or you could go there the rabbi's going to speak in either place and that it's open to and and that that it's they're open to to the liberal synagogue being a legitimate place for a person to have access to Judaism when they want them to come to their shul even no matter how observant they are or are not would that be accurate or is this I'm misreading. I think I think you're you're correct. I'd say one further thing, and, and I you know I go to the UK quite often. I go as a scholar in residence. I have a lot of friends in the rabbinate there, and of course elsewhere in the world. And there is, regrettably, amongst many rabbis, a culture of fear that somehow their I say their loyalties would be questioned, and that means a lot of people don't speak about things that are important to them out of worry that they're going to be criticized. Now, I think that's regrettable. Well, we all um, do it to but, some degree. Uh, but I, uh, can I just interject one thing? Because I think yes. you guys, you're, you're, you're kind of conflating two things, right? Johnny, you, 
I thought you were saying one thing, and then you, you, you said, you kind of said it, and then you said something else. It's like, was the concern that um, I will be misunderstood, right? If I sit with these people, I will seem less, quote unquote, from, right? And I think that's a real mm-hmm. fear. But I think there's a flip side that Ruby is referring to, which is, if I sit there, it implies, I'm giving legitimacy to their positions. It's not, I'll be seen as less from, it'll be, I'm koshering them. Right. Uh, and, correct. And I think that that second one, um, I, I agree with you that like that was that's something to concern here in Israel. The second one, not the first one, that you're giving them hefshir. Right. And again, I I I I, I feel like it, because when you talk about conservative and reform Jewry, the the it, you know the gap is so clearly great, and and orthodoxy is doing just fine. There isn't that fear of koshering, right? It's just not a nice way of saying it. I don't like that language. But it's not a it's not a crazy and maybe the dynamics in England are different. Like, like you know, whatever. There's a path I don't want to go down. But I think we are sensitive to the fear of like, not the fear, but the concern that like, when you do engage with people of different opinions, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying before, which I am a big I am as I said I said I am very much in favor of. I do think it's important to also make clear where you diverge, because right so. Yeah. So I, I was going to comment on that because I mentioned the Limud conference and I wrote a paper some years ago about the appropriateness or otherwise of orthodox leaders going to the Limud conference. And central to my article was this whole question, which is, I personally believe if a person is uh, clear about their convictions, clear about their loyalties, and feels able to communicate where they disagree and confident in doing so, then fine. The, the, the whole worry about Orthodox Jews going to the mood was that second point of giving legitimacy to something uh, which isn't. Now, underpinning, this, let's talk about the mood just for a few seconds. Uh, because I actually disagree with Molly's sure. whole thesis. I mean, I, I don't, I, not every interaction with somebody has to be, here's my red line, I just want everybody to know. Okay, I mean, okay. I, I'm sorry, I went to America. Let's stay with- I was, well, no, I'm serious. Born conservative Jews. I went. I was. I was invited to go teach Judaism in a Reform synagogue. I was invited as an Orthodox rabbi to speak at a Reform synagogue and did so proudly. I, you know, I spoke, yeah. about, I spoke about Baal Shem because that's what they wanted me to speak about. Wait one second. And I feel no compunction whatsoever to stand up and say, as an Orthodox rabbi, I want everybody to know. You know, like of course not. No, my point is. We have to start talking about what, what we have in common. About like I, I like when people would ask me, yes. "Will you go to Reform Shul?" I say, "Yeah, there's plenty in Jewish tradition that we can talk about and that we can discuss without having to get into what we don't what we don't agree upon." I just thought, you know what I'm saying? I so like, I, I agree with you 100. percent I just think that we can't pretend like there aren't real issues on which we diverge. And and as the as the communities in America are becoming more, they're moving. You kept using the word liberal to describe, right? Liberal is a very... I, I meant it the way that it's spoken about, the liberal liberal movements. That's what I'm saying. Not, not yeah, as a description. Not a, as a description. But. But, I, but American Jews in America are becoming increasingly liberal on a lot of issues. Issues have to do with America. Issues have to do with Zionism. Issues, issues that have to do with a lot of other things in which there are real differences. Let's not pretend those don't exist. And I'm, I agree with you. Like like when you're talking to, 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 to Jewish communities and Jewish people... Uh, we should. Why talk about that which divides? Let's talk about that which connects and bring people closer. Of course, 
But to pretend that there aren't real differences and that those differences are not going to come up is false. And again, maybe it's a small minority that are fanning the flames, but like, like, is it, is it like you, you, both of you, I don't know if both of you, but certainly you, Ruby, were kind of saying it's, it's the Israelis' fault for kind of only portraying American Jewry as about woman of the wall and, you know, conversion. But I, I'm not so sure that, you know, the, the vocal American voices, that's how they portray Israel. You know, like, I'm very concerned about Israel now because it's being hijacked by the extreme right, but also politically and also, now again, those might just, that might, might just be noise, right? Um, and not, and I totally agree with you, but why, why are you I falling for their bait to... in order to give them fodder for their next Shabbat sermon? Well, who needs that? Say, you know, we don't, I disagree. I don't, think, I don't have to stand okay. up. I don't I, have to rile. I don't have to bring people that. to the Kotel and rile them up to shout them down, these 11 women. That's the show. I would never say that. Oh, you don't think we should do that, but apparently somebody does. And, and don't understand, yeah, don't understand that this is for their fundraising video in America. So I don't, so, when, so I'm not going to be the one to talk about those issues, but when those issues come up, um, do, it's, it's like what Johnny said before, do I want to, in the name of Shalom, kind of not, you know, keep my mouth a little bit closed and, and kind of let them think what they think, and it's okay, and yes, we are an occupier, and yes, we are sexist, and all those things you think about us are all true, because I love you and you love me, and let's talk about that. Yeah, you you mix a lot of things together. We're talking about religion and that's politics. That's my point. That's a lot of things but together. That's my point. My point is that things are complex, right? And there are a lot of issues that need to be dealt with. And and you're coming from one very specific angle, which is the layman in America. There's so like let's not talk about the issues that divide us. Let's talk about the issues that unite us, so that we can keep the connection to to America. Wait, to I was alluding America specifically on. to religious issues, not political issues. Maybe they're the same. But, but you said, but you also said American Jews love Israel. And if we look at the numbers, young American Jews have a very different perspective on Israel. Um, and that has to do with, with you can't ignore the fact that politics comes into that picture. Now, there's a great discussion. Wait, how many of those young American Jews have actually set foot in the synagogue? About that. I'm not talking about, but I'm just saying this conversation between how do we have dialogue and how do we connect and how do we bring them forward and... There's a lot of complexity here, and and I agree with you. I'm not disagreeing with your argument, and it could be you even convinced me. Like, I don't care. Like, leave it alone. But like, I feel like 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 Limud is a place. That's why I feel maybe we should turn this to Johnny, where these issues do come out more, right? Because um, when people talk, they talk through the frames of their world perspectives, and some of these issues do come out, and some of these differences do exist, um, and they and they do show up. And it's kind of naive to think that like. You know, it, we, it, it, there's much more, you know, it, it's so much easier to, to talk about what unites us. There are real things that divide us. And I, I really like what Johnny said, which is if I come with integrity and with my position, um, I, I think it's a much healthier place than, than certainly than ignoring. And, you know, I, and, 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 and I'm not sure, and, and I think maybe, I don't have to say that your position is naive, but I think... I think that, that, that to not be aware of the bigger picture is probably, it's, it's important to be aware also of that larger picture. But I, I'm interested in what Johnny has to say because, you, you know, I, again, I haven't been to a Limud. I'm, I, you know, maybe, Johnny, you have. Maybe you have something to say about this issue that I'm kind of well, looking at. Well, let, let's, I, I don't want to explore the Limud conference itself too much. Yeah. Uh, but, although certainly I, I had been previously. I haven't been for many years for a variety of reasons, um, which I'm happy to talk about offline. But nevertheless, so that's there, right there, right? 
to its conclusion. If you have comments or questions, as anybody want to add something else? Do you think we're, we're okay? I'm, I'm asking. Molly, you're okay? Johnny? Okay, so I want to thank uh, Rabbi Johnny Solomon and uh, Rabbi Molly Brovsky, who I did actually for, forgot to introduce at the beginning of the podcast. So now you know who they are if this is the first time listening. Um, if you have comments, please share with them on our Facebook page. That's where people usually reach us, and we always appreciate hearing your comments and questions. My name is Ruben Spolter. Have a great weekend.